Hey everybody, I just want to take a moment to talk about a new thing I'm doing. Over the years, many of you have reached out to me telling me how much you love the podcast, but also wish there were more personalized takeaways and more in-depth interactions with our guests to hear what they think about comedy. This is why I'm now launching my new digital academy, Blueprint for Success. With exclusive interviews and comedy philosophies of stars and industry veterans, personalized versions of the Industry Standard podcast, commercial-free, and one-on-one coaching time with me. Blueprint for Success will give you the powerful tools that will take you up the elevator beyond the competition and reach the highest possible levels to achieve your dreams. Whether it be stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, hosting, radio podcasting, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or an agent. Now I'm here to help, personally. We'll go on an express train of comedy and entertainment like nobody else has before. You can find out more about Blueprint for Success and the comedy business on my website at barrycats.com. Together, we'll take your career where you want it to go. Didn't know one person in Hollywood, but I think, you know, to, to get into this industry, you have to be resourceful and you have to want to learn. And it really is an apprenticeship business. Um, and so, you know, I, I ended up, you know, doing everything I could to land internships, you know, anytime like there was, you know, someone connected to Hollywood, I would just you know say like, Hey, I want to be a producer, you know, one day, like what's, you know, what's your advice? I remember, you know, Barry Levinson was one of the first bona fide people that I ever met in Hollywood. He happened to like move um, into a neighborhood uh, where I lived and was at a Christmas party. And then, so that was my chance, you know, excuse me, Mr. Levinson, I want to be a producer. And he said, if you want to be a producer, you should learn every job in the business. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. Hope you're having a great week, a great month, and a great year. Thanks for all the support. You guys are amazing. The emails, texts, social media messages are just tremendous, and I'm so grateful. Got a lot of really, really unique, special and very impactful things to come that I can't wait to share with you. It's going to be amazing. And speaking of amazing, I'm really excited about my guest today, Tyler Mitchell. This guy's going to blow you away. <laughs> he is incredible. What a really, really extraordinary man. Before I get started, I want to let you know if you need to reach me, you can do so at BarryCats at Instagram or Twitter or at BarryCats.com. And without further ado, let me introduce our guest today. Tyler Mitchell is a producer, writer, and entrepreneur who sits at the nexus of creativity, technology, and the creation of content across all mediums. Mitchell is the CEO of Impact, the groundbreaking content accelerator and online network co-founded by Academy Award-winning partners Brian Grazer, and Ron Howard, which spun out of Imagine Entertainment last year. Impact is democratizing access to the entertainment industry, accelerating the development of original content, 
and innovating the way that studios, producers, directors, writers, talent, and crews connect. Impact's track record of success was recently recognized by the world-renowned business magazine Fast Company, who included Impact on its 2021 Most Innovative Companies list. Impact earned the number two spot, right behind Netflix in the film and TV category. Previously, Mitchell was executive vice president of Motion Pictures and Imagine Entertainment, where he oversaw a slate of live-action films and also launched Imagine's animated division. Before joining Imagine Entertainment, Mitchell produced several films, including The Incredible Burt Wonderstone, starring Steve Carell and Jim Carrey, Lucky Number Slevin, starring Josh Hartnett, Bruce Willis, Morgan Freeman, Lucy Liu and Ben Kingsley, and the critically acclaimed film Maudie, starring Ethan Hawke and Sally Hawkins. As an executive, Mitchell oversaw the development, financing, and production of many films, including The Rum Diary, starring Johnny Depp, and The Butterfly Effect, starring Ashton Kutcher. Mitchell has also produced and written for television, including two primetime shows for NBC, Kidnapped and My Own Worst Enemy. In addition, he co-wrote the story and is producing The Heart of Rock and Roll, an original musical inspired by the songs of multi-platinum Grammy Award-winning artist Huey Lewis and the News, which is heading to Broadway in 2022 after a record-breaking run at the historic Old Globe Theater in San Diego. Mitchell also wrote the original story that inspired the 2019 best-selling book The Perfect Wife by New York Times best-selling author J.P. Delaney. But more than anything else, Tyler Mitchell's impact on his company, Impact, has built a network of over 60,000 writers across 125 countries, developed 71 projects, 35 of which have been sold or set up at major studios and production companies, including Netflix, Sony, FX, Amblin, Village Roadshow, Legendary, and many more. He's helped launch the careers of over 86 diverse writers representing 11 nations, many of whom have skyrocketed to the upper echelons of the business, making six-figure sales and being hired onto high-profile TV and film projects. 31 of them were previously unrepresented writers and have been signed by top-tier management companies and agencies, including CAA, William Morris, Endeavor, UTA, Verb, Management 360, Lit Entertainment, Grandview, and Three Arts Entertainment. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome my guest today. What an honor, Tyler Mitchell. Thank you very much. The, the honor is uh, all mine and very grateful to be here. It's great to meet you. We're going to have fun. You said something behind the mic that I loved. It was the, the curiosity questioning. I love the way you said that. I know it sounds odd, that, but I don't hear that that often. Really? The curiosity factor. I mean, you hear it, but you don't really think about what it is. And I, I think to myself, I'm always asking questions. I love to listen to what people have to say, and I love their story. And, and you're sitting here on the couch with me, and when I think of you, I think of somebody who navigated through the craziness of this business and got to a point where at this stage of the game 
you're at the highest levels and there's a lot of people that started with you a lot of people that started with you that might be picking up trash at the beach might be selling automobiles might be doing solar might have great corporate jobs uh, somewhere um, and living really happy lives too that's true but not as many <laughs> and so I think one of the first things that strikes me about you is just when you walk in the room you take the room but you take the room in a way where there's power but there's humility so I, I'm kind of curious in your mind if you had to put your stamp or blueprint on how you were able to navigate through all the people who want to be in the position that you're in. Most people would give up limbs to work with Brian Grazier and Ron Howard. They would like, they would literally buy a handgun and kill people to be in that position. And you're there and you found out about the opportunity initially, you worked in the company, and then you were in a situation where there's other people in the company, many, many other people that know that there's other jobs, there's things coming about that could really take things to the next level. They don't say it, they probably walk up to you in the commissary and say, hey, Tyler, how you doing? Good to see you, hope you're doing well. And then going back in their office and planning your demise. <laughs> now, I know that sounds weird. It's not, I'm not saying they're actually planning your demise, but they want to grow too. They want to reach the highest levels of success. They want to know what it's like to be revered and respected like their bosses. But what I love about sitting down with you in a very long-winded way of talking about it is you made it happen. And so I know it's not luck. So if you had to share with anybody, anyone, especially the people that you work with, all these young writers with impact, which we're going to talk about later, and creators, what would you say worked for you that didn't work for other people I think for me it was I started the, I started at the end you know um, in terms of um, who I wanted to be when I grew up and and I'm gonna tell you a story you'll think it's made up but it's true um, the reason I went into the film industry because I was very much on a economics investment banking you know speak spoke Japanese lived in Japan you know for for two summers um, very much on a on a track um, my best friend had passed away from cancer when I was 12, which had a really profound effect on my life. And so when I was a freshman in college, I thought, you know, what do I want to be when I grow up? If I could fast forward to the end um, and I could be, you know, uh, an icon in an industry or, 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 or get to the top of, of some industry, what would it be? I always loved movies and television. My my sisters used to say that I didn't even have a real personality um, because I was just a, a giant amalgamation of movie quotes. Because I was, I have sort of an audiographic memory. I can hear things and repeat them back, and I'm constantly quoting movie lines. And but being the, the movie industry to me, you know, at this time, this is like 1996, was this distant universe that. 
I didn't even know how it worked or how things got made. And a friend of mine told me about this thing, IMDb, um, and said you should go to Computer Lab. You can like look up credits of movies, you know, and and see who made them. And so I looked up all my favorite movies. And they had now. What were all your favorite movies in 1996? Well, it turns out they were all produced predominantly by three people, and it was Jerry Bruckheimer, Scott Rudin, and Brian Grazer. And of the three of them, um, you know, I love Bruckheimer movies. I love I loved um, Scott Rudin's movies, but Brian did prestige movies. He did comedies. He did action. He did television. He had this great range of stuff. And as someone again who do- doesn't understand Hollywood, you know. It also seemed like he did a lot. You know, a director would do a movie a year or two years, and I thought, wow, like, I don't know what a producer is, but maybe I could sell this as a job to my parents and they would believe me, which uh, I, I couldn't. They told me I was throwing my life away. Um, and I thought, that is something to really aspire for, too. I don't know what a producer does, but I really want to figure out how to do it. And so I think. You know, having having someone to, to look up to and say like, okay, that's the end. How do I get there? Didn't know one person in Hollywood, but I think you know to to get into this industry, you have to be resourceful and you have to want to learn. And it really is an apprenticeship business. Um, and so, you know, I, I ended up you know doing everything I could to land internships. You know, anytime like there was, you know, someone connected to Hollywood, I would just, you know, say like, hey, I want to be a producer, you know, one day, like what's, you know, what's your advice? I remember, you know, Barry Levinson was one of the first bona fide people that I ever met in Hollywood. He happened to like move um, into a neighborhood uh, where I lived and was at a Christmas party. And then, so that was my chance, you know, excuse me, Mr. Levinson, I want to be a producer. And he said, you want to be a producer, you should learn every job in the business. Um, and he said, because that'll make you valuable, and then you'll actually know how to make movies and shows. And I really took that to heart. So, you know, while I was in college, I worked at production company for Jim Jackson, Scott, uh, Sean Daniels. I worked for Arnold Kobelson. I worked at New Line. I worked, um, you know, in studios. Then I worked on set with directors. Then I worked in an agency. And so I was trying to just amass, you know, as many tools in my tool belt as I could so that, you know, I could, it was kind of my graduate school, you know, so that I felt like, you know, when I was ready, you know, I could take a leap and have enough skills that if I could take, you know, find someone to take a gamble on me, which which I did, and it turned out that those relationships from my intern days paid off, that I could bring something, you know, to the table. Um, and so, you know, I, I wanted to move quickly and take a shot. And if it didn't work out, you know, fall back, go to business school or something. But, um, you know, I ended up learning um, film finance from um, like one of the three people in the industry at the time. It was kind of trade secrets. It was um, Ken Kamins, uh, Guyman Cassidy, and John Patak. And I worked for Ken, and Ken represented you know all these amazing directors. You know, Chris McQuarrie and you know Peter, this little indie director named Peter Jackson, who you know was just starting to shoot Lord of the Rings, and John Frankenheimer and. And you know, I ended up actually setting up projects as a producer while on Ken's desk. I actually like at- attached John Frankenheimer without Ken knowing at the time, and Mel Gibson, and sold it to Paramount. Um, you know, and when did he find out? He found out when John called him and said, "Ken, I love the script. It's great." And and Ken said, "What is he talking about?" And I'm like, "I, I sent him a script, you know, um, that a friend of mine had had written." Um, 
called Skeleton Coast. And so I ended up, you know, getting and he's like, well, you better talk to John then. And I said, uh, you know, Mr. Frankenheimer, I said, this is Tyler. I actually sent you the script. And he's like, you've got great taste. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and John was, you know, he was a, a kind of a rough and intimidating guy. Now, um, you know how sometimes, as you know, there's people who do what you did, what you describe, and their bosses not good they don't like it they they fire the person right then and there so you took a risk i took a risk i took a risk and but also i was i was very particular um about who i went to work for um and and it turned out that ken um i had worked as a director's assistant for two of his clients and so and and i and i knew i really respected him and and I knew that he would probably be mad or tell me that I couldn't send it to John, but I just had a feeling that he would like this project and it was a really good script and the writers went on to become, you know, really notable writers. Um, so yeah, sometimes you have to take a gamble and he was not happy at the time, but you know, his client got a script that he really liked and that's kind of the job of a, of an agent. Um, and I, and I knew at that point that I didn't want to be an agent. Um, you know, I always wanted to be a producer and this for me in some way was going to lead to something. And Ken taught me so much about international, you know, tax credits and packaging and financing that, you know, my, I only think I worked there maybe 14, 15 months. And in that time, you know, I was just like a sponge reading contracts, reading deals, like listening on every phone call. And while I was there, I mean, he put together traffic, gangs of New York, Gosford Park, Dr. T and the women, way of the gun. I mean, something like 19 movies he packaged, got financed. I mean, traffic, no one wanted to make, you know, and and Ken, you know, Ken got Gangs of New York made, um, you know, which really was a, a huge thing for Graham King. And so, you know, I, I kind of took all of those tools and, and was able to, you know, parlay that into a, a much smaller movie a version of like, let's actually start financing and producing movies. Um, and that led to this company that I work for with um, Back to New Line, actually. So you decided to go back to doing that going that thing instead of doing your own like trying to start your own thing at that point you decided that i, I know i can do this because you did it really technically with nobody right i mean no you got nobody's approval nothing you just did it but you decided not to sort of be the person you decided to work for another group again to where they have full control over you they can twist you into a balloon animal do anything they want why did you go back to that you just didn't feel like you were ready yet to do your own thing well i think making movies and shows you know everything about the entertainment industry is a team sport you know i, I really believe that and, and 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 i'm a team player and and that script came from you know um it was Bender Spink at the time, a management company, and I met those those guys when I was uh, when I was an intern. And Roy Lee, who's now one of the you know biggest producers in in town, when he was an assistant at Alphaville, I was his intern, and and so I kept my relationships up with those those guys. And so when um, you know Skeleton Coast came my way because. 
Chris and JC said, we represent, you know, Gudegast and Sharing. They wrote this great script. It'd be great for John Frankenheimer. We're like, get it to him. And I said, I'll get, I'll get it to John and, and get him attached. And then, you know, was able to also, um, John then got, you know, got um, Mel Gibson attached. And so they were, you know, they, everyone need, everyone in, in this industry has to be validated by somebody. It is an apprenticeship business and, and people do have to help you up along the way. And, you know, JC, Chris and Roy were, were, were those people for me. And so when they were doing this joint, a joint venture with a, uh, an upstart film financing company that, you know, um, no one had ever heard of. They just financed one movie. They said, you know, you should hire Tyler. You know, he knows what he's talking about. He understands, you know, packaging, financing. He works for one of the best in the business. He just, you know, um, put together this this project with Frankenheimer and Gibson and set it up at Paramount. So, um, you know, it's because of them that that, that opportunity came my, came my way. Um, and so, yeah, you know, anyone who's going to take, will take a gamble on, you know, on me as an, going from an assistant to a VP of a company that no one ever has ever heard of. Um, you know, I just, I said, yeah, like, you know, this feels like a shot that I want to take with people who have believed in me since I was, you know, just fetching coffee and covering scripts all day. And so take us through how that went. What happened next? What was your first thing that you threw your belief into and, did it go your way or did it not go your way? There was a project at the time um, called the Butterfly Effect. <clears throat> that was that was one of the first projects that um, I, it was a script that Chris and JC had. Um, it was their clients, and and Film Engine decided that they um, wanted to make it and finance it. And New Line also was really interested in the movie. And at the time, it was Josh Jackson was attached to Star. I remember. Um, he had a death in the family, something happened and the, it's a very dark movie and he dropped out. And, but we, we knew that new line was interested in making it, but they could only make it at a budget of like 25 million. And they, they felt like it was real risky, but we, if we made it as, as an indie, as a negative pickup, you know, we could make it for about 10 million. A negative pickup is when you have an agreement with the studio, um, in this case, new line where they say, um, we agree to take North American rights and, you know, X rights for, you know, $4 million um, if you literally, back in the day, deliver the negative of the film to us and they would pick it up. So it's called, called the negative pickup. So New Line said, you know, we'll give you um, this amount of money um, to go make the movie, um, you know, when you deliver it. And then you have to, you know, take out a loan and there's a lot of, you know, kind of complicated financing stuff that goes goes behind it. And I would say my first kind of, you know, big moment was we needed somebody to star in the movie um, that had to drive foreign sales. And Ashton Kutcher at the time was one of the you know top people on the list. Well, Ashton's people felt like it was too risky, you know, for him. Um, but I had met, you know, I had met somebody, you know, at Count Can Film Festival, um, who introduced me to Jason Newman and Jason's wife Stephanie represented Ashton, and so kind of found a different channel. And Jason read the script, loved it, thought it would be something that, you know, Ashton um, would be into. Turns out he did. So Ashton attached and Amy Smart attached, and we ended up making the movie. Tell our audience how you get past the stain of going around somebody who's not letting you get your stuff to the artist 
Um, How do you create a better relationship after you go around them, the client? Hey, everybody. I hope you're enjoying this episode as much as I am. If you made it this far and you haven't fallen asleep yet, then you must be the type of person who's serious about having a career in the comedy business. That's why I'm offering you my Blueprint for Success, a one-of-a-kind all-access pass into my knowledge and experience after over 40 years of working with the best of the best in this crazy entertainment industry. I'll tell you all the stories, all the philosophies, give you all the great special guests, and even give you one-on-one -on -one private consultations to help you expand, enhance, and skyrocket your comedy career. Just go to barrycats.com and click on Blueprint for Success to learn more about my groundbreaking digital academy that I've created just for you. With it, we can take your career so far that one day, instead of listening to this podcast, you'll be interviewed on it. Does the movie, and they have to sit around looking like they didn't endorse it in the first place. Well, I think you make, you know, when, when the client likes the movie, um, you should make the, the representative look good. You know, and and not say that you went around somebody and, and not make a, a big deal of it, you know, but but um, kind of win them over, you know, and if the client wants to, you know, wants to do something, um, you know, they're they're going to do it. And they may have tried to talk him out of it. I'm, you know, I'm not sure. But, um, you know, I, I think to me, you know, again, it's you, you have to find different avenues, you know, and be resourceful and and find creative partners. But. You know, I remember when I was starting, I believe it was Ken Kamins who said, he said, it's a long business. And so for me, like keeping relationships positive, you know, and, you know, and not being someone who makes enemies in town is something that I've tried really hard to to do, you know. And so I, I never want to burn anybody or, you know, ever. Um, especially, especially reps, because that, you know, that rep at the time ended up, you know, becoming a, a very good friend of mine and, and um, you know, it was helpful th uh, to me throughout my career. So how do you handle things or how have you handled things in your career when somebody went around you or somebody, as they say in the business, did you dirty? How do you function? Do you kill them with kindness? Do you not let them know that it bothers you? Do you have a direct conversation with them saying how upset you are and how if they do that again, there'll be consequences? Like, how do you, how do you personally handle it and how do you recommend other people handle it? Um, I, you know, fortunately I haven't had a ton of those, uh, of those things happen. Um, you know, but I think if it's someone I have a relationship with, I tell them directly, you know, for sure. I'm, I'm def I'm a very direct person. Um, I think that, you know, e even when you have confrontations, like confrontations can lead to deepening of relationships, you know, um, if, if those, you know, disagreements kind of move forward productively, like you're, you're going to disagree with people, you know, um, like in, in this business, it's how you work through it. I think that that matters. And, you know, people who actually, you know, you know, 
have done have done me dirty, I just move on. You know, um, it, there's there, there's a lot of you know players in the in the game, and you have to find you know the people that that you like, that you trust, that you're simpatical with. You've got you know creative, you know collaborative, um, um, uh, shorthands with, and you just stick to those people. You know, and, and I think. For me, in the beginning of my career, instead of being someone who knew everybody, I just tried to know a few good people at every organization that would be my my go to network. Um, and that's, you know, and that's how I sort of grew my my network was really by always focusing on on, on key relationships that were important to me. I always felt like I could see somebody on stage and know immediately. I could watch a video with the sound off and I would know immediately if somebody's going to go from a studio apartment to a mansion and being a multimillionaire. It's always been something that's happened to me, but it's not a talent you go to college for. I'm not reading books and studying things and learning different skills it's just something that's always bad it's almost embarrassing saying because it's almost like a psychic or knowing thing just knowing that something's going to happen and again if it happens one time yeah that's luck twice you know but if it happens 25 times there's obviously something happening but again it's not a skill set i don't look at it as a skill set when you read a script that isn't watching anybody on stage, you're actually visualizing characters that are written that only have like a one sentence description to them to describe the character in that script and their personality and who they are. Imagine you being described as somebody in only one sentence. And then you have to read 120 or 90 pages or whatever it is, depending on how long. And you're reading and you don't, you have to use your imagination to understand how this character is. The imagination that the writer had for the character. But what I want our audience to know, most, some of them know this, some of them don't. You know, when Tyler gets a screenplay, it's there's not a letter from the writer saying, hey, by the way, you're going to be reading this script. And, and when you read the role of Tyler, Tyler is a guy who started here at Humble Beginnings and he learned everything here. and He did this and it's just one line. So Tyler has to use his imagination when he's reading a script and, and there, he has to figure out if this script moves him and is flawless and great. So I think it's valid to tell the audience, like, especially with the initiative you're doing with Impact, which again, we're gonna talk a lot about. Was it something that was a God-given talent of yours where you just looked at the script and you okay, I know this is, I know this is shit in 10 pages. I know this is great. I don't have to go to school. I don't have to read Sid Field's screenplay to know that this is a piece of crap and this is extraordinary. Or is it something you trained for your whole life to know how to read a script and say, that's the one, that's Jerry Maguire, that's the perfect movie. I'm sorry, I believe Jerry Maguire is as perfect a movie as you can get. So there's very few movies that are almost flawless, and that's I think is one of them. 
uh, could be argued out of the room here, but what is it? Is it something that people either got it or you don't have it? Or are there people out there in the business that feel like they've trained, they were they sucked in the beginning at it, and now they're great? Well, it's a combination of things, and it actually does play into why we created Impact, um, because you know, like like yourself, Ron and Brian have a really great track record of spotting talent uh, early as well. And all the time that you spent in comedy clubs and seeing people and watching people fail and all of that, um, you know, you subconsciously, consciously have a have a radar detector for like when you hear a joke or when you see somebody who has you know has star power, and I think for. For people in the industry, you know, who are who are readers, you know, um, first of all, you know, my ten thousand hours in terms of movie history, I probably in television history, I probably accomplished by the time I was nine years old. Even <laughs> with like switch dials, like I was glued to a television. You know, my my parents got divorced when I was young. Put the kid in front of a TV, he'll be quiet, and I watched five hours of TV a day, probably. You know, and I watched everything. So you know, your life experiences are infused into your, into your work. Um, I did, you know, I did love to write, um, studied English and then I started reading screenplays, you know, and you read a lot of bad ones and then you find, you know, you find good ones or things that have, you know, sparks of good ideas or talent and, and you learn to, you know, to discern them. And after years and years of doing it, I'll, I'll tell you, you know, funny stories. Um, there was a script that came my way. It must have been seven or eight years ago now. Um, it was written by an assistant, um, Stephanie Shannon. Um, it was called Queen of Hearts. And it was this amazing kind of um, um, story about how Alice in Wonderland, the, the story came to be. And it was written by an assistant at the company where you were at. No, a, a different different company. She was at Brillstein, but you know, someone said, hey, there's this great script. You know, I think you're really going to like it. And I read the first sentence and I remember that it was about the way that the smoke was coming off of a steam engine in England. And the first sentence I said, this person, this, this writer, whoever it is, has massive talent. And I went after that script, lost out, someone paid a half a million dollars for it and it won the nickels. So yeah, I think it, the repetitive nature of reading, 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 like over and over and over again, sometimes 30 pages, sometimes all the way through, you know, all the way through, um, you, you start to be able to, to detect things. And I know I'm spending a lot of time on this, but I think it's really important about you. And again, I, I feel like I'm, I'm pretty good with scripts, not as good with the talent. But what I was always confused about, because I loved what you did, like the description in the beginning of the, you know, the smoke came off at like the dew in the morning and the sun coming over. the, And I'm thinking like, this is an amazing writer, but... The second thing I think of before I go on to the dialogue is, well, it's a wonderful description, but it's no one's saying these words. This is just a detailed description. And so how am I going to know that that's just because they can describe this beautiful scene like it were a novel? How am I going to know that they're going to write? But you know right away that if they can do that, they can do the other. Well. You know, it really it really depends. You know, um, and and this does get into sort of deconstructing all the things we did to to be able to find these writers faster. You know, through through impact, um, because it you know the one sentence um, immediately 
for me, let me know that I was that, that this writer was talented, had real command of the English language. And again, you know, it's like Ernest Hemingway said, um, sorry, I wrote you such a long letter. I didn't have time to write you a short one. It was a concise, compact sentence where every single word mattered. And I could tell the work that was put into that one sentence. And I remember I was taking a screenwriting class at UCLA um, during one of my first summers out here. And the, and the screenwriting teacher said, um, Write, um, you know, uh, write the opening of, you know, uh, of a movie, um, your journey onto campus today. And I'm writing, you know, it was a bright sunny day as so-and-so walked in, da, 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 and we do this quick, you know, this quick scene and everyone starts reading and I read mine wrong, this person wrong. And um, he goes, you know what the correct answer is? And I said, no. And he goes, exterior, UCLA, day. The cinematographer, the director, they don't want you to tell them how to do their job. And I was like, wow, like that's, that, that seems pretty hardcore. Um, and, and I thought, well, maybe that is the way. Um, but for me, and I think it's become more the norm, like directors, people, they want to be pulled in. They want to be shown a world and a, and a vision, even though their job is to bring it to life. Um, I think writers, you know, especially now with showrunners, you know, becoming so, so powerful and, and TV, like writers are now, you know, uh, the most powerful people in, in Hollywood to a certain degree on a talent level. It's really flipped. And so I think people who, who build worlds and, and, you know, it attracts talent, it attracts, you know, directors, it attracts actors, like they want to read something that they're engaging with. And so again, you, you can't overdo it. Um, you know, Michael Mann, who's someone I, you know, really admire his work. I mean, his scripts were like 180, 200 pages long with pages of description. Now he's also the director. So, um, you know, it, it's, it's different, you know, for in his case, but I think that there is a, there is a happy medium of you want to get the readers on your side. You want to get them engaged and you want to put your stamp on it, you know, your voice, you know, and a lot of that could be done in characters and dialogue, but you know, a lot of it too, you know, if, if it's a movie that has, has sparse dialogue, you really have to be conveying the action, you know, to the person reading the script in a compelling way and make it a page turner. So it's, you know, again, it, it's a balance of those things and it's extremely difficult to do. Um, but, but when you see it, um, you know, it, 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 it lights up a stadium. All right. So I want you to just take our audience through your trajectory of how you got in the door, how you found your affiliation at Imagine, and then how you went through, you know, the ranks to a certain position that was really well respected and wonderful. Hey everybody, let me remind you one more time about my new blueprint for success. It's a project I've spent months and months working on just to help you jumpstart your comedy career and beat the competition. Whether you want to do stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, radio, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or agent, Blueprint for Success will give you all the tools you need to take your career to the highest levels. With exclusive interviews, my top 50 commercial-free episodes from Industry Standard, one-on-one -on -one coaching with me, and unprecedented access into my knowledge and experience from over 40 years in this crazy business. 
I guarantee you that with Blueprint for Success, you'll become the creator you've always dreamed of becoming. No one's asking me to do this. I want to do it because I want to help you become truly undeniable. So just go to BarryCats.com, click on Blueprint for Success, and start your incredible journey today. I truly can't wait to work with you to help you change the trajectory of your comedy career forever. Wonderful. And then the pivot towards impact. Sure. So um, after, you know, after working at this um, production finance company for, for five years, I decided that I, uh, I did want to start my own company. Um, I had put together um, the financing and packaged a movie called Lucky Number Slevin. That was the first screenplay that this writer, Jason Smilovic, ever wrote, like literally ever wrote. And it took several years, but, you know, got it made. And in the meantime, while I was you know, trying to make that happen, his, his career started taking off. And when the movie was over, um, you know, we decided that we wanted to partner up and he had just sold a television show. And he said, I want you to come work on this TV show with me. Um, and, you know, TV was not what it is today. Um, this was... 2006 and so we worked on a show called kidnapped i had no experience in tv and he got me a job as a consultant on that show and i ended up you know again long story writing on that show had a company for several years the writer strike happened broke apart um i ended up then partnering in another comp company um um, landscape entertainment put together some movies there also sold a bunch of tv shows and Funny enough, I had never met Brian before, um, and he was two floors above me in the building. And but I would never see him in the elevator. I saw like Ron in the in the parking lot once, but um, you know I hadn't. I had still not ever gotten my foot in the door with Brian. Um, but at that time, you know, Imagine had their studio deal at Universal. They had a deal at Fox, and and what I knew about myself was. I like being very entrepreneurial and wasn't necessarily the right person for a studio, big studio, you know, um, production company job. Um, but you know, at that time, you know, an agent friend of mine, you know, was asking me like, you know, what I wanted to do with my career. And he said, you know, there's anywhere you could work Like, where would you want to work? And, and I said, listen, I'm pretty happy where I are. He goes, what about imagine? I said, well, yeah, you happen to pick the, if there was anywhere that I would want to work, yeah, that would be the spot. And he goes, okay, um, I'm going to set you up to meet Brian. And, you know, and, and he did. And, and Was there a position that was open at the time? Or? Yeah, they were looking for a senior vice president in, in motion pictures. But did you feel like, even though, even though you knew you were qualified in your heart and you were confident, did you feel like, holy shit, this is like, uh, you know, I'm going to be going up against some big people for this job. Yeah, I, I certainly did. And I had been, you know, I had been in the position before and trust me, like there were, you know, there was a lot of, there were a lot of tough times. Um, you know, like I, I remember, you know, I had a show on the, at one point I had like just made a movie show on the air. Things were great. And then the writer's strike happened, show canceled, just <laughs> bought a house, had a baby and, you know, and had a company and no, absolutely nothing happening. And it was terrifying. And I had come close to landing the big job, you know, running, a movie stars company running, you know, other, I was, I was always in the running, but hadn't, but just hadn't quite gotten it, you know? Um, and I was going up against, you know, consistently really talented executives and, and, and producers. And, 
Um, and I, I'm sorry I'm interrupting, but I think this is really important for the audience. When you didn't get these jobs, did you sit in the fetal position at your house and think to yourself, okay, what did they do that I didn't do? Like, what is it? And were you always calibrating and thinking? Because people talk about interviews and all different things and how to get where you want to go. And you're fighting a silent enemy. You're fighting in Vietnam and all your enemies are in the trees with guns. And they're all snipers. But you don't know what they've done. You don't know what they said in the room. You don't know how they presented themselves. All you have is what you perceive to be the thing that's going to get you the job. So even when you don't get the gig, well, you know, listen, we, you know, you're really great. We loved you. We just went in the other direction. Mother God. You know, but they don't tell you. Uh, in minute three at the 27 second mark, you said this thing that really set me, took me back, and that's when you lost the gig. They don't tell you that. You don't have John Madden with the telestrator saying, <laughs> and so as a person and with impact, you're dealing with so many people who have to go in and, and make that difference, not just with the material. So how do you recalibrate and figure out and have the confidence, okay, I know what I did here. I think I know what I did there. This is what I have to do differently because if I meet with Brian and I do the same thing I did there, I'm not going to get this gig. Or did you not do that and you just kept going? I think, you know, this is a rejection-filled industry. Everybody gets rejected. I remember when I started working at Imagine, I thought, oh, well, now I'm at Imagine. Like, we, like Ron and Brian can, you know, just make anything happen. And what was amazing is it's as difficult, if not more, because you're just at a higher playing field with, you know, bigger stakes, bigger players, and it's, it, it is really difficult. So you have to learn, you know, you, you, first of all, you have to take the hit, you know, dust yourself off, do the best you can to find the information as to why you, why you didn't get, uh, get the job, you know, the person who sent you up for it, you know hopefully can do some recon and I always want to get feedback and improve and whether you're pitching a show or a movie or writing like you're constantly getting feedback you know on your project or on yourself and so you know I'm always trying to to improve and and you know and iterate but also be true to yourself you know and you have to realize if I didn't get this job then you know it wasn't meant to be and I think I do think you have to have again not a laissez-faire attitude you have to fight you know hard for it but you know, when you're in the running and you're in the room and you're close, then it's just a matter of time. Like you will win someone over, I think, you know, it, it like persistence does pay off. And repetition. And repetition. Um, and there were times where I was completely mystified as to how they hired somebody, um, you know, um, else that, you know, I, I might have felt that, that I would have added more value. And then there were people who go, I went, yeah, like that person has a way better resume, you know, than, than I do. Um, like what always bothers me, like with the young assistants and, and, and interns, the, the goal is for them to get a great gig somewhere. I want them to win. Today, I just heard from one of my assistants say, I had an interview for The Tonight Show. I'm like, you did? You, you didn't think you could tell me so I could prepare you for the interview? Well, it happened really fast and things, you know, were going fast and I, how did it go? I didn't get it. They told me right away I didn't get it. 
I'm like, haven't you learned anything to just take every lottery ball you have and put it into the hopper to help you get the gig? I mean, clearly you might not have gotten it, but I think with 40 years of me doing this, I might be able to tell you how to go into an interview with a place where I know everybody and help you get the gig. You know, I'm not going to pay money like the college scam, but I'm going to like normally you want as much information as you can to be able to get it. So you take your meeting with Brian and are you nervous? Are you cough? What what do you feel? Well, well, first of all, that goes without saying. I mean, you have to, you know, know every single thing about a person when you're going in for a job interview and a company and read every article, you know, read their books, you know, like everything that they said, you should be a walking encyclopedia of, of that person and marshal all of your relationships or anyone who might know that person, you know, whether or not it's to put in a good word, like to give you advice. And you need to be cal- calibrating all that, that advice, you know, constantly. And then, um, of course, I was nervous, you know, um, walking, walking in to meet Brian. But I, but I will say at that time, the one thing I think that I, that I had was um, I actually wasn't sure it was the right job for me. Because I was doing, you know, features um, and TV, and I, you know, I had sold something like 15 TV shows in 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 14 months or something. I didn't want to give that up. This position was strictly features, and um, I really wanted to meet Brian. Um, I wanted to hear about the opportunity, but but again, it like sort of the the Universal Studios like servicing um, that that those agendas wasn't necessarily for me. Um, and and the first meeting was was short, um, you know. Uh, it was it was interrupted by you know um, by a phone call from overseas, and I thought, well, that's like, the worst. That's the yeah. I thought that was it, you know. Um, but um, I. It's amazing that you in that short time with the phone call that you made the impact. Pardon the pun. That's really, normally, I mean, anybody will tell you if you have like a 10 or 15 minute interview interrupted by a phone call, goodbye and good luck. That's certainly what I thought, Um, you know, but yeah, I had to, you know, again, so I I reached out, I told, you know, the people who had set me up, you know, sort of, you know, what happened and, um, you know, and I ended up getting, you know, a call from Brian. Um, you know, I remember pulling over to the side of the road and, you know, and, um, it was a completely on the fly, you know, conversation. Um, and, and then he invited me back, you know, for, you know, for, uh, another meeting. Um, and I ended up getting the job, but what, what was exciting was he started to tell me about what he and Ron had planned in terms of, you know, taking Imagine, turning it into this kind of, you know, mini major and, and building, you know, um, these one-off things like documentaries or animation into real divisions. And and so to see that now, you know, kind of come to life, you know, with, you know, amazing documentary division, kids and family, you know, animation, TV fe- features, branded, you know, then, um, you know, they bought uh, Jigsaw, Alex Gibney's, Gibney's company and um, Tony Hernandez, you know, Jack's media, and they've really grown, you know, this company. And so I started like right when that shift um, was happening. And, and so I, I got really excited about that because then it was, it was building a company kind of for the future and they had the, the, the resources and, you know, to, to really do it. And so it's been, you know, it, it was an amazing journey to be on, to watch, you know, um, it grow in the way that it, it, that it did. 
Now, moving into the initiative with impact, sometimes when people come to you when you're in this position that you're in and they say, hey, listen, we're starting this thing and we want you to be the head of it. It's like when you're the number one sales guy in Los Angeles and they say, hey, you're fantastic. We're transferring you to Guam. Guam, we don't we don't have any of the product in Guam. I know, but you're so good here. We're gonna put you there, and you're gonna start it and make it happen. You're like, I kind of like what I'm doing here, and I'm I'm number one over here, and I know you are, but we need you over here. Is was that the kind of thing? I mean, obviously the initiative is something extraordinary, but did you like say to yourself, oh man, I gotta gotta start this. <laughs> That's pretty accurate. Yeah. Um, you know, it's you never know when you're going to get a phone call that, that changes your life. And, and Brian was overseas, got a call, and he had this idea, for, you know, for this content accelerator. Um, and, you know, and he was he was basically talking about the fact that, you know, there are these these accelerators in Silicon Valley where people apply, you know, from all over the world, an idea for a business, and they put them through a boot camp, they give them mentors to work with, you know, and out, out the other side of it comes multi-billion dollar companies like Airbnb and Dropbox and Instacart and Quora and Reddit and on and on and on. And he said, you know, movies and shows are startups. I've done over a hundred startups. And if these, if, if these people, you know, can, can find entrepreneurs and turn them into billion dollar businesses in a three month boot camp, shouldn't we be able to develop, you know, movies and TV shows, you know, faster? Like there just has to be a better way of doing it. And at the time I actually had, had moved from being like EVP of features to now running the, the new animation division and this, this deal that we, that we had with Animal Logic and was building up that slate I think I was overseeing something like 23 projects at the time. And, and I said, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Like, I, I get that, um, um, like what you're saying. And I think there are a lot of par parallels and kind of from my, you know, packaging and financing days, you know, and, and growing up in the Bay Area, I knew a little bit about Silicon Valley. I said, movies and shows are startups because, you know, you incorporate them, you know, as LLCs every time you make, you know, movies or, or shows. So I kind—I of, really got what Brian was saying, um, and Brian was really excited about it, you know. And so was Ron, and you know, and they kept pushing me to say, like, you know, we should do this, we can launch it, like. And I said, it's going to be really, really difficult, you know. And I have all this other stuff, and they said, but we really want you to do this, and you know, that's why Ron and Brian are, you know, the producers that they are, is they, you know, are really, really persuasive. So um, they said, you know, we think you can, like, we think we can do this. We think you, you need, you should take us on and and come up with a plan of how we could, you know, actualize it and ex execute it. And so they not only wanted you to start impact which i want you to give us a summary of it in your words because it's such a beautiful initiative but they asked you to put together the architectural blueprint and structure for how it was going to work well yeah it was a you know it was a a mutual it was a mutual thing you know um because for for me i said listen to to take it on um I really have to believe that it's something that I can do. Um, and, and so I have to 
believe in it, you know, real, uh, really deeply. Um, and, and so I, so I spent a lot of time, you know, researching, figuring out, you know, um, working with them, pitching, iterating, you know, on, on how it could, uh, it could work. And we sort of landed on, um, you know, this architecture, um, and I wanted to fly under the radar and do it really small and, you know, and, and, and Brian did the best thing, which was, you know, kind of push me out of the airplane, as they say, in startup land and, you know, have to sew yourself, uh, sew parachute on, on the way down. Cause we announced it, you know, while Ron was, um, in Cannes promoting solo. And so on, on this global stage and, and at the time, you know, like there was no impact. It was, you know, me and an assistant and, you know, and this the architecture of the system that we designed. As always, this has been Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. And if you like the show, tell all your friends. And if you don't like the show, tell all your friends. You get out the money. Drop that fancy car. All the people love you. You're going far. Life is for the dreamers They have all to gain It's never quite over Till it all feels the same You pick your own poison Dig your own grave Down in the valley Fortune Thank you for listening to Industry Standard with Barry Katz. If you'd like more info on our schedule of new episodes or how to reach Barry through Twitter, Facebook, or email, go to barrykatz.com. Before you leave, Please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast, leave a comment, and rate it, even if you think it blows. Thank you for your support, and have a great day.